Hello there, little listener. You've found yourself plugged into the mandatory Redistribution Party podcast. Today's episode is themed around islands. Why? <laughs> I don't know. We just talked about islands a lot one day, and that's great because I like islands. Islands are the quintessential metaphor for isolation. There's also a, an evolutionary phenomenon called island gigantism, where small animals evolve super big on islands. That's why you've got the giant tortoises and the Galapagos and, and the dodo. The dodo evolved from a pigeon. And what does that tell us about modern Britain? I don't know. I'm not sure. But definitely our past, present and future are shaped by the fact that we're an island nation whose geographical isolation has directly informed the politics of a post-colonial reactionary force. You may have noticed that we have a different theme tune for this episode. To add colour to the island special, we've been given permission to use the track An Island Keen to Float by friends of the show Dead Slow Hoot, whose song is about Britain's posturing as a, as a plucky little island wanting to go out on its own. Uh, we'll be playing it in its entirety at the end, so until then, enjoy the app, which is short for episode. Would you rather be politically homeless or actually homeless? Politically homeless, please. No, that's much worse. How can it be worse? Because I, I could still have a, a home and I could sleep in a bed and... It'd be easy for me to store my food, and if I gain items, things I want to look after, or I could give shelter to other people, I could live with other people. No, worse. Worse? <laughs> worse. You've really, um, I'm just saying, quite boggled by the, by the conversation and the turn it's taken. Listen, Sean, right? To be politically homeless it is unfortunate, but I just don't think it compares to the material desolation of not being able to provide shelter for yourself. Right, just calm, calm down, mate. Sorry, yeah. Calm down. So you're being very aggressive towards I'm me sorry, here, yeah. and it's making me turn against you. So I'll try to be more civil. Listen, my, yeah, my tone was all over. Homelessness. The yeah, like deserving homelessness. Apparently, yeah. yeah, because of your economic failings. Because you know most homeless people are actually fake. Like they, they're actors. They're fake yeah. actors. They put on their homeless wigs. Yeah. They take them off at the end yeah. of the day and get into their Audi, and then they drive their Audi to... Aldi. Aldi. They spend all that money on the middle aisle, getting yeah. whatever they want. Because they're actually managers. Ka yeah, kayaks. Yeah. They're all managers. They get... Yeah, they're not only are they shopping in, in Aldi... Getting Eastern European tinnies in. Cracking them open. But the other, th the other thing about homelessness is actually, if you are homeless and you beg, if you beg for one day, yeah. you can get minted. You'll get minted off one day of begging. Well, I'm politically homeless, and when I see a beggar and they say, please, please, sir... May I have a coin? I know a they're lying, right? Yeah. But I'm a, listen. I'm a good guy, right? So I sometimes I think maybe they're not lying, but you know what I think? I think they're homeless, but I am politically yeah. homeless, yeah. and that's worse. Homelessness supposedly, according to Shelter, whatever that is, has increased two hundred and fifty percent since twenty ten. But how much has political homelessness increased? I don't think they even measure the stats for that. It's out of control. They yeah. can't quantify it. How do you even count that up? Very difficult. That's how we've fallen between the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. Invisible. It's the invisible problem. If you Google homelessness, the propaganda machine- I never would, but if I did- The propaganda machine is probably going to tell you something like the 120,000 people yeah. that are homeless, right? And that that's increased from 70,000 in like- 2010 or something but actually that that's simply a recovery to the 127,000 homeless from 2006 which was actually its peak under the Blair government and homelessness increased year on year from 1997 to 2006 under the Labour government <laughs> like you, you know when you were you politically have a home right and you're in your home the Labour Party right <laughs> and then you're just increasing homelessness year on year from 1997 to 2006 like that's going to come up on Google. political homelessness isn't going to come up that issue's not going to come up yeah, it's right. going to talk about this other stuff that just isn't that I don't understand the relevance of. It seems wild that we've tried to emphasise how bad our problem is by calling it political homelessness given that we don't think homelessness is a significant issue <laughs> to deal with in the first <laughs> place so we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot with that <laughs> When we had a political home, it was just, you know, it was better. That was better than my actual home, which is a five-bedroom castle <laughs> in London with two helipads. No, helipad a, heli a helipad 
on the turret and also a Thunderbird 2-esque moving tree system for my Range Rover. Just gets fired up into the sky. Yeah. Lands again. Just destroyed. No. Totaled. Fires up into the sky and one portion of it goes to Iraq and just blows up someone's (laughs) home there. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, that, that homelessness isn't a problem because it goes to Iraq and it explodes a man. And then he does, that's actually solved homelessness because if you've been exploded, you don't need a yeah. home. And then the other, I'm in another sent, capsule and then I land in an LBC to studio. to land on a wedding. Oh, no, I don't. My, my end lands in LBC studios and mm. I exit my capsule. <laughs> yeah. And it's you and James O'Brien and Nigel Farage. Yeah. All clinking one giant ale glass together. <laughs> Cheers, boys. (laughs) (laughs) What's on the waves tonight? (laughs) Well, how come it it is only centrists who describe themselves politically homeless? It's never like anarchists or full-on Nazi fascists. They never go, oh, I'm politically homeless. Where where do I cast my ballot to take us back to 1943 Germany? The anarchists wouldn't say they wouldn't equivocate not having control of the main left political party. Okay, as, so the com- as being homeless, they wouldn't yeah, want yeah, to make yeah. that equivocation. Okay, so the, the anarchists Nazis wouldn't, and the, well, okay, the anarchists wouldn't want to carry out their political desires through parliamentary democracy in the first place because that's hierarchical control. Yeah. The communist party exists, so communists, like all other kind of communists, sort of exist in some spectrum of actually minority fringe parties that exist in the parliamentary system. Yeah, yeah. It's only really Nazis and centrists who are able to say they're politically homeless because there isn't a Nazi party and there are Nazis <laughs> in the country. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, Nazism did get in through political means. So I think they're the only other legitimate... In a way, Nazis are possibly more politically homeless because Nazi couldn't just join the Lib Dems. Yeah, well, if you're like Chuck Ramone, you can just join the Lib Dems and then quit because they didn't make you leader. But if you're a Nazi, <laughs> what do you do? I guess if you're a Nazi, you just rebrand, get a suit on. Yeah. You go, actually, I'm really into uh, football and the border. Yeah. I'm not a Nazi. I just love the Iron Cross. Yeah. I love adding stuff up. I, to me, it's just an addition symbol. Yeah. Me and other white people. Let's add them And let's talk about together. IQ a lot and how IQ maps onto race. And ignore and anything. Shape. Yeah, and skull shape. <laughs> and talk about borders, which are... I love the cliffs. I don't even love borders. I just love the cliffs. The I love white how, cliffs. Like, because obviously less and less fascism doesn't have to hide behind like crypto fascism anymore. Mm. But like there always is like, I can't just say I'm interested in genetic bloodlines. I have to say, <laughs> no, I just love the chalky white cliffs of Dover. That's my interest. Why? What are you like? A geologist, like, why why do you care about that? Just for some strange patriotic reason that other people will understand and brings us all together. They have to hide behind these strange floating signifiers of patriotism. But who enabled all those strange floating signifiers of patriotism? Funnily enough, it was the politically homeless people. British jobs for British workers from Gordon Brown. The bogus asylum seekers thing pumping that lever of the outsiders are bad. They did a lot of groundwork of legitimizing. I don't think every centrist who considers themselves politically homeless is necessarily guilty of dog whistling the xenophobic right. But those who haven't, those who haven't necessarily dog whistled in order to try and gain the political center ground mm-hmm. has at least brought corporatism and the banking system directly into the into the houses of power of British government yeah. in a way that caused income inequality so that xenophobia had more fertile ground to become an explanation towards the politically disenfranchised. Well, it's not just, it's the middle class as well of like years of, Cameron did it a lot, but Labour did it before of sort of blaming stuff on immigrants that was 100% not caused by immigration and inflating immigration in the national debate, blaming solvable problems on either migration or, I don't know, EU interference or something. Yeah, NHS having too many people to look after or like blown up stories about the NHS having to hire um, translators as though that's a significant part of the budget whatsoever. 
or just uh, job insecurity, not enough jobs in certain areas. Ever since Thatcher, it's been an intentional part of Conservative Party policy to have more people looking for jobs than there are jobs because that creates a employer's marketplace. This is... Yeah, There's a yeah, documented yeah. part of the UK political strategy to have unemployed people. So the idea that this is now a problem that is caused by any other <laughs> explanation other than the people who sat down and decided to do it yeah, seems pretty far-fetched. But none of that, none of those problems compare to political homelessness. To political homelessness, wow, yeah. Relax, breathe deep. Draw air into every corner of your lungs. Have lungs got corners? And breathe out. Release the air. It has served its time. You find yourself on the beach of an island. The beach is wide and long. You stroll along it till you spy something in the sand ahead. A line of stones stretching from the clear blue water of the sea toward the tree line. You follow the stones toward the tropical forest that begins at the edge of the beach. You hear the waves, feel the sunshine on your back, the cool breeze on your skin. Where the sand meets the forest, driven into the line of stones, is a wooden sign with two arrows. One arrow labelled freedom, the other labelled freedom. Suddenly, a strange beast swoops down from the trees. Some kind of marsupial, but with a grinning, perfectly human face. Except he's got a zusk. Make your choice. Make your choice. Choose between what? Freedom and freedom. Ah, this is the divided island. To the west is capitalist freedom. On that part of the island, you have the freedom to sell your labour to another. The freedom to buy the labour of others. The freedom to amass wealth and spend it as you choose. To the east is socialist freedom. Freedom from selling your labour in order to survive. Freedom from alienation. Make your choice. Make your choice. What was that? Freedom, child. Got to protect the freedom. I'm I'm pretty sure it was an explosion. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The island was constructed as a social experiment to decide which was best, communism or capitalism. Despite the efforts of university debate clubs and Radio 4, which is Oxford University's debate club, no victor had emerged in the marketplace of ideas. So they built the island, out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, on top of the trash vortex. The man-made symmetrical paradise was divided in half, with the same resources and the same number of people Each side would live according to a different economic philosophy. One side created a system where a few people own the property. They control the means of production and the resources of their half of the island. The rest of the people on this side have no property. They can buy some, but for that they'll need money. And they can only get money by working for those who already have the property. These people are the workers. And they're perfectly free. Free to purchase products branded by the capitalists. Free to rent a mouldy treehouse. Free to get a payday loan. And if they choose not to work for the property owners, free to starve. This is the capitalist side. The other side of the island has no private property. Not only that, but there's a system in place where people look after each other. Everyone is welcome and no one will starve to death because they can't or won't sell their labor. The resources and means of production are shared by all. Work is voluntary and workers democratically decide what to do with their time. Freedom from bosses, freedom from poverty, freedom to express yourself without buying something. This is the communist side. Each half of the island coexists with their own system. The one rule both sides share is that anyone at any time can move to the other side. The only border is the water that surrounds the island. The only border police are massive sharks and small sharks. Within weeks, there was a problem on the capitalist side. The workers were leaving. Given the choice of control over their work, producing for use or beauty or the hell of it, working without bosses or staying where they are, why would anyone stay on the capitalist side? 
Without their workers, the capitalists have no one to shine their shoes, no one to work in their factories, no one to tell what to do, and no one to sell their stuff to. Every capitalist saw themselves as a genius, an innovator, who worked their way up to deserve their wealth and power over others. But they are revealed as nothing without the workers. What's more, the workers have seen the socialist side of the island, where resources are shared from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And they're starting to think, maybe the capitalists shouldn't be the only people who own the resources and the means of production. Maybe this side of the island should be communist too. So now, the capitalist businesses aren't just competing against each other, they're competing against socialism. And socialism is the scariest market force of all. What can the capitalists do? Well, they can pay the workers more. Sure, they'll lose some profit, but it's better than the big fat zero they'd be getting with no workers at all. But workers on the socialist side of the island share everything in common anyway. More money might not be enough. They'll have to offer healthcare, welfare system, pre-education. Eventually, the capitalist side of the island will have to make so many concessions to the workers that it might not be too different from the socialist side anyway. But what if the workers have learned more from the other side of the island? What if they're more interested in having the freedom to produce what they want, how they choose? Maybe they're even consuming less. Very bad news for the capitalists. Can't make a profit with no one to sell to. So the capitalists start advertising, creating a constant stream of new products and services and the adverts to go with them. Creating new desires the socialist side of the island could never fulfill. But they've still got a problem. The workers don't have control over their labor. They're producing for profit. Where's the joy? The capitalists will have to make entertainment. Bit of wrestling on the beach and uh, Magic the Gathering. In the schools, they can teach the children to derive self-worth from good grades, teach them to be good workers, and that the rich are rich because they worked hard and the poor are poor because they're lazy. The capitalists would also create anti-communist propaganda, convince the workers that the other side of the island is evil and plotting their downfall. They can teach it in the schools, maybe even put it in the entertainment the workers watch to relax. What if workers start organizing the capitalist side to improve their conditions more? What if they plot to seize the capitalist property? Can't have that. Better create a police force. Better create some prisons. But what if none of this is enough? What if the socialist side of the island is still thriving and workers continue to leave? The freedom of workers to sell their labor to the capitalists, the freedom of capitalists to buy workers' labor is threatened by the very existence of the communist side of the island. Furthermore, given the need for a constant stream of new products to make and sell for infinite economic growth, the capitalist side of the island are running out of resources. The minerals are mined, the trees cut down. They need more to ensure their freedom and ensure continued economic growth. The capitalists only have one option, war. Over on the communist side of the island, workers are chilling. There's no adverts for any capitalist products. Education is based on what society needs and the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake. Besides producing necessities such as food, sanitation and healthcare, workers devote their time to whatever they want. Their loved ones, learning a new skill, writing Dragon Ball Z erotica. But there's a problem. Some of the most skilled workers, engineers, doctors, are disappearing. On the capitalist side of the island, they can be paid enough to live in luxury. So much even that they could pay other workers to do labor they don't want to. So much that they can have a small taste of the power of the capitalist class. Many of them do remain on the communist side because they work for their comrades, not luxury or power, but the problem remains and there are others. The water in the streams isn't safe to drink. Fish float on the top, poisoned by whatever's coming out of the capitalist factories. Some of the things made in the capitalist factories might even be useful to the socialist side of the island, but they refuse to trade. Suspected saboteurs have been found at workers' councils, turning workers against each other, and machinery keeps breaking inexplicably. Some workers point out that the workers in the capitalist side have been indoctrinated, that the freedom to work for a capitalist is not freedom at all. They demand the socialist side of the island intervene, help raise class consciousness on the other side of the island. And worst of all, the communist side hear news that the capitalists may be readying an attack. Afraid, the workers think they should be armed. Some of their labor time, maybe a lot of it, will have to shift to making weapons so they can defend themselves. What's more, if the capitalists are coming to attack with a hierarchical, obedient army, some workers think the socialist side should do the same. How else could they effectively fight back? 
Other workers point out that if they made themselves into a hierarchy, if they raise bosses above them, create a state, they'd be becoming just like the capitalists. Why fight for that? Before the debate is over, the capitalists attack. Their war machine rages across the communist side of the world. Resources and workplaces once collectively owned are taken by the capitalists. For those workers who survived the war, workplace democracy is over, and they must now answer to a boss. Any talk of how things were before will mean being labelled a traitor. Any talk of communism or socialism is an attack on freedom, the two fundamental freedoms. The freedom to work for a capitalist, and the freedom to starve if you don't. Make your choice! Make your choice! On the beach, you see fire rain from the sky as the war begins. What do you know about the Easter Island heads? Oh, I love them. So they're called the Maui, is that right? I think so. And there was loads of confusion about how they were... There's two things. Why did they make them? Mm. Um, Because they deforested their entire island and it was their eventual undoing. Mm. Um, Because when they were discovered by the Dutch in Easter in sometime in the 19th century? 1722 by Jacob Roggeveen. Okay, so you've got all the facts. Um, They were like not in a good way because um, not only did the deforestation not allow them to make a lot of tools, but birds, which they relied on for hunting, had nowhere to perch, so the birds weren't coming by anymore. Yeah. And there were questions about, did they use all the trees to roll them? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they made, like, a sort of a rolling raft yeah. of trees. But then there was another theory that was more recent, and I just can't remember what it is. It's another way of using trees to, like, transport these massive heads. I only really have a rudimentary understanding of, like, what was going on. Like, it was, it was a religious ritual that got out of, hand and they had another ritual as well which was like jumping off the cliffs like a uh, uh, like a, a coming of age ceremony where mm. like a young man would have to jump off the cliffs and like could very easily die i love i'm loving the easter island heads like mm. since because you're like it's like a mystery type yeah. thing right but i was thinking about it recently so uh, you, you can no one's 100 percent on what exactly exactly they were doing with the logs but mm. what they are like is like there's evidence that they were there were trees. It was a heavily forested yeah. island and the trees, the type of trees that were there were huge trees. Uh, and by the time the Dutch got there, there was nothing over 10 foot. And, yeah. Uh, and the population was just collapsing because they, they couldn't survive. Yeah. So they basically destroyed their island. But there's evidence that people had lived there for thousands of years. Yeah. And then there's all the interesting stuff like, first there's the people who argue that all oh, the heads couldn't have been uh, built by these Polynesian people, it must have been, you know, racist uh, 18th and 19th century anthropologists were like, oh, people must have come from somewhere else that had this pyramid truthers, yeah, yeah. aliens. So, yeah, and, yeah. So yeah. there's the two, there's first the, the just out out racists. It must have mm-hmm. been uh, a more superior race than the Polynesians, European, like social Darwinism. What? Analysis. So just some of the white settler community comes in and goes, oh, yeah, do I don't want us to build loads of heads. Do okay, you know done. We're off. <laughs> Also, we're going to leave no trace of our culture. See you later. Aside from the heads, just to say we've been yeah. here, we'll leave no trace. Well, yeah, no, because there was loads of, um, I think some guy who was who was positing one of these theories then tried to demonstrate that this could have happened by building loads of rafts and stuff mm-hmm. to try and, and then wrote a book about it. But there was that, there was like racist estimations. And I don't think he said whites. I think when they're like in deep on social Darwinism in the 1800s, I think it was like, oh, it might be American Indians because they're they're like a notch above, even though we wipe them out. Oh, it's like the proper old school racism, where it's not just like, whites rule, everyone else sucks. It's like, yes, whites rule, and then this race is slightly better than this race. This race is really good at mining. This race is really good at maths. It's like the bizarre like Pokemon of racism, where you think everyone's got these special abilities, (laughs) and it's all the paper, scissors, rock about who's super effective. exactly. And then that eventually becomes aliens, which has a little tinge of the racism, because it's like oh well actually these people 
these primitive people couldn't have done this. It must have been. If it can't be white people, yeah, <laughs> then it these must. Are, have been I hate aliens. these people so much. I think they're so stupid that I'm willing to accept the most outlandish theory, which doesn't ascribe to them any ability to do basic <laughs> architecture or stonemasonry. I would rather believe it was something from space, yeah, of which there is fuck all evidence for. Yeah, rather than fill in the small holes in this not making sense, I'll just create another giant one. Yeah, I would rather believe that it is the technically possible but infinitely improbable <laughs> subatomic event which caused all the atoms from the trees to leap into the atomic structure of a giant stone head. <laughs> that is more plausible to me than these Polynesians learning how to craft stone into shapes as every other civilization on Earth has learned. And how to do when left to its own devices <laughs> um, yeah but I was thinking about it um, more recently what with the constant stress of environmental catastrophe that hangs over us all right? oh so you're saying that Easter Island is in itself some sort of it's a microcosm, microcosm. oh yeah 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 uh, Synecdoche Easter Island <laughs> <laughs> well because what's the actual name Easter Island is like the Dutch Imposition yeah, word. sorry, we're using the European imposition. I don't know, I'm sorry. I wish I did. We've been, we're, we've been indoctrinated. So a common argument against kind of democratic decentralizing of the economy, a current one from the left, mm -hmm. rather than just saying like, actually the state's fucking great and you need to do what you're told, lick my boot, yeah, yeah. right? Is environmental catastrophe, catastrophe can only be avoided by these big state or international organized, top-down organizations like we have to compel people to not consume or waste things in a certain way, right? So it, that's, that's is, a comment. Have you heard this idea? This is the Naomi Klein line on it, wasn't it? We need to have a sort of a planned economy, move people away from industrial jobs into like care work, which doesn't create smog. <laughs> we need to plan what our workforce is doing so that we're not just creating consumable plastics. I think Naomi, can, I think, yeah. yeah. I don't think Naomi Klein would be suggesting like totalitarian necessity of it. I think she'd probably, I, I think, no, she's, she, why and, she's not saying totalitarianism, the existential necessity for a planned economy. Yeah. Because an unplanned economy or a completely free market economy will just pollute. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. But that, that, that planned economy doesn't have to be planned by a completely centralized state. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, but the holes in this, I, there's so many holes in it. So if you just go, oh, we, we need the state to compel people to do that, mm -hmm. is uh, one is that the two biggest planned economies of communist China and Stalin's Russia or yeah. just the Soviet Union throughout were like two of the most ecocidal systems mm -hmm. as ecocidal as capitalist West. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously they, one of their criteria, one of their goals was not stopping environmental catastrophe. So maybe if you did have it, maybe if you had Stalin 2.0 and you know, this time uncle Joe cares about the trees, maybe it'd be different. I mean, that, that doesn't sound like something that would happen, but that, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm unsure about just, Oh, the state is the solution. And then secondly, you go like, oh, right, well, these societies that have sustained themselves for thousands and thousands of years, you know, like tribal societies that exist outside capitalism, that somehow avoided the kind of all-consuming nature of that, you know, the, the few of those that still exist, that really haven't changed their way of life for very long. Mm -hmm. they're, they're sustainable. And a lot of people argue, well, they're sustainable because they're small, yeah, right? But they're not sustainable because they're small. They're sustainable because they are they not hierarchical. Grow. Oh, right. Because the reason the Easter Island stuff happened was because of hierarchies and elites demanding, basically, that they be reified through these statues and then devoting all of society's resources to these, sta these statues, which then decimated the rest of the economy. Mm -hmm. The use of the wood means that the soil then loses all its fertility uh, the birds go away, you know, because East Island's really windy and it's really hard to grow stuff. And the, when, as soon as the trees go, that makes that worse. Ecological catastrophe was brought about even in this very small community because of hierarchy. Small societies are probably more resistant to like ecological suicide because if if you're making your economy, if you can see that the poison from the thing you're doing is going into the water that your kids drink, you're probably not going to do it. Or if you can see immediately that maybe having five kids at a, at a Western level of consumption, if you if you if the, if the landfill was out of the back of your house, yeah. If I can see the totality of how much the twenty families that comprises my tribe have, 
yeah. then I'll know roughly how much extra mouths yeah. the feed will do to it. Yeah, if you can see two things, if you can see the amount of farming or labour that is necessary to maintain your quality of life mm. in your immediate locality, and then you can see the consequences of the consumption, the, the plastic or whatever, yeah. then that will obviously inform your behaviour. I think that's a more convincing argument is like more localism rather than just the state planning stuff because I think people's awareness of stuff will then lead them to make democratically and in a localized way decisions that are better environmentally rather than the state just going trust me don't fucking don't have three fridges yeah right but at the same time it's not just that it needs to be small it's because these two island societies were small mm -hmm. and they fucked it because they were profoundly hierarchical and the elites of that island for whatever reason or an another convinced everyone build these fuck off heads and that just within a you know a century or so just totally fucked their island but it wasn't the the smallness of it doesn't just fix it it, was, it has to be the de de uh, decentralized power it has to be you have to get rid of the hierarchy as well so but what the, do you what do you think so the slogan of the future isn't socialism or barbarism it's anarchism or water world <laughs> we're back to water world <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A real fondness. Well, when I think of a, a, a film that just shows complete environmental collapse, yeah, there's Mad Max. Yeah. But there's also Waterworld. Because what's actually going to happen? Mad Max won't happen, right? Water, water, Waterworld. Depends where you are. Yeah. If you're in the sea, <laughs> if you're in the Pacific, Waterworld has already happened. Uh, yeah. Firstly, if you're saying environmentalism requires it, but also to a degree, I think this complete collapsing of hierarchy and anarchist collectivism sort of requires it because how do you organize a huge amount of people along those lines without having to have people live in smaller more local communities that can where mm. everyone can know each other and everyone can deliberate mm. both of those things require smallness there's like going to be a maximum size as to what you can to how many people can be meaningfully organized together in a deliberative communicative way i don't know because i think you can have things i think you can have lots of those small things working together right yeah sure if you post something if you post something to some random country there's not one global post office there's loads and loads of different postal companies i'm not saying the, the entire population needs to so shrink like, down yeah but no. whatever you're saying loads and loads of those units are what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah, yeah units yeah. cannot scale up infinitely there's a maximum size to how big yeah. those units can work meaningfully yeah yeah, yeah 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 um but those units can nonetheless work together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i'm not saying we're completely warring Celtic tribes that all like a fight. Well, for no, that's it because I was worried because that's that's the, that's the instinct I want to go because people are like I, I, I encounter people on the left who are like, oh yeah, we I do get like democratize democratizing the system and democratizing the workplace and everything, but because of environmental catastrophe and we've only got a decade or whatever, mm -hmm. we actually just need fucking Enviro Stalin now and yeah. you just need to do what you fucking told, uh, which I think is a dangerous instinct. But you're not, you're not saying that. Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. I was I'm, projecting my fears. I'm just, I guess I'm just thinking aloud about like all the implications of the massive social change you'd need to have this. Yeah, you'd need a revolution. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, what it would be like <laughs> and how things would be different in ways we don't yeah. appreciate. But I mean, partly it's like, oh, well, how would like manufacturing industry and making stuff work? But partly we're, we're going for a degrowth mm. organization. The first one, we don't want mass manufacture of a lot of stuff. No. People can get everything they need possibly committed in their local community or if we've got different communities that can specialize people can still move goods around and trade yeah goods of course around. yeah we can still trade what we make for the things they do we don't even need a, yeah, a yeah, currency yeah. to do yeah. that here's what we make we make lids yeah yeah please can someone standardize something <laughs> that can also be the pot this lid goes on <laughs> so at the moment we're getting no trade <laughs> with our ovoid lid yeah i guess I, I know people that have like moved away from like anarchism because they didn't think they could that comprehensive nationwide things could function properly, like libraries. Mm. They just couldn't understand how like these different pockets of communities could have a nationwide service like the NHS or a library system mm -hmm. or a train system. Mm. Um, and I also don't necessarily understand that. But at the same time, like there's kind of no point being theorizing what everything there is down to less detail. No one at any point knew what a purely communist, a purely anarchist, a purely socialist society would Purely would fucking capitalist. Like. When yeah. they started enclosing land in the... No one they, knows no what's one was going like, on. Oh, yeah. yeah. 200 years from now, we'll have factories here and mills. Here. No, yeah, yeah. you know, it just... It, it, it happened organically. And I think it's, that's when you're fucked is when you go, this is the blueprint. Yeah, exactly. Let's 
Here because we go. then we were like, oh, these kulaks aren't really fitting in with this blueprint. Yeah. Do I sort of squeeze them in or do I chop them out? Yeah. Or just chop them. Just chop them. Just chop them. Just chop them. Just chop yeah. Just squeeze that in. How do we tell who's just a kulak? Just push that in. Don't really matter. Yeah. Some people who don't fit. Yeah. People who look like I'm they just going to put grain. these people over here for a second and I promise I will come <laughs> back to them. I'm just, I'm very busy thinking about lots of different people. <laughs> if I can just move these people, the, the, the distance. Yeah, just the distance. Can I just move them? Can I just put them over here? I will. I promise. I promise. I'll come back to them. I'm, I'm just, just keeping my hands full. I'm just concentrating yeah. them. I'm just putting them in yeah. that area for a bit. They can camp there. Yeah, you know, they do a multiplication. I'm putting the two and I'm going to carry the two later. Yeah. But for now, they need to live in this camp. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you just kind of need to go in with like, here are what the principles of how we want to do this are. Hmm. And I'm not massively up to date with the literature and anarchism anyway. No, not I, fuck no. Um, but I know what like the idea is. My only scepticism would be like, how far back you'd need to go in terms of what we can make. Like, does medicine need to get degrowthed? Yeah, that's where you start going. Yeah, like insulin. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. They're necessarily industrially manufactured, right? Yeah, so that's where my question marks are. But like, I don't think I know that we're going to come to the the answers on that here. So I don't want to push. No, no, me either. But what I can do is just tell you completely irrelevant stories about other island communities I find interesting. Oh yeah, you were a Pitcairn Island. Where's that? In the middle of the Pacific. Okay, and also it's not natively inhabited. It was during the mutiny and the bounty. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's where they went. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so there was the mutiny, and then I think they also had some slaves. I can't, I, I think they were like freed slaves. I don't yeah, yeah, know. Yeah. I, I don't know the details of, or even where they came from, somewhere in South Asia, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Again, really sketchy on those details. But essentially, they did the mutiny. They can't go home. I mean, they can't go lots of other places because the British Empire was so vast. Yeah. They could get arrested anywhere they dare to port. So oh, they found shit. this island, Pitcairn Island, and it is, it can only be accessed by boat and it is so remote and the seas are so choppy, it is actively dangerous and hard to go there you, and you takes could a helicopter. You could helicopter. It's a tiny island and you need, you need space for a helicopter to you land. You could Thunderbird too. Oh, you mean just like rope ladder down yeah, rope from down. From what, I, what I've been told or what I've seen, um, but there's a real problem because Pitcairn Island the legality of this is really confusing because hmm. there are some who would consider Pitcairn Island therefore to be under the jurisdiction of the UK because yep. it was UK settlers. <laughs> <laughs> that is a technicality. Well, because it's yeah, not. Yeah, no, not, I get you. It's yeah, not, yeah. There's no one else living there. Yeah, so yeah. Who, Uninhabited. So if a crime happens there, okay, so here's the problem, right? Okay. Tiny group. Yeah. We're a few generations in. This was the mutiny of the bounty. Fuck. They have resorted to pedophilia to keep their uh, alive like you know like imagine adam and eve yeah are the only people around yeah well if they want to not die out as only two people oh this is the pitcairn island what they're saying they're a, they're a slightly bigger family now oh god but the only way that, that everything's arranged marriages well and incest we're not just pedoing sure yeah yeah oh fuck so that's what they're doing and so i think channel four did like a dispatches on it where they're like Pitcairn Island we need to do something about that so they were forced by uh, I don't know what body just some element of like UK overseas law saying you've got to this needs to go through a judicial process so they did that they had a trial and we were like yeah we we, like this was normalized until we've told it's wrong so yeah they did do that and they had to build a prison on this island but they had to build that's what the the sentence is it's going by UK law you just go to prison we don't have a prison we've just got like four or five houses so they had to build a prison and also the guy who was there's so few people on this island the guy who was going to be put in prison he had to help build the prison right oh my (laughs) god so he wants to put like an escape tunnel in so he had to build the prison (laughs) and he's and they're like can you go faster I'm like I'm not really enthusiastic about building this prison yeah. but then they yeah, what are you in, doing there paul you build is that a tunnel yeah what's that we're doing there it's an interesting uh poster of this <laughs> up here <laughs> so draft coming from that yeah oh it's a bit, a bit windy near this <laughs> um so they put him in prison and then the islanders like contacted like this authority again mm. this uk authority and said he um we've lost like a fifth of our workforce because we've put him in prison <laughs> We literally can't, like, we might end up starving if we don't have him back to help hunt and feed and make stuff. Can you let him back out? 
because it will hurt us more to have them in prison than yeah. what you're protecting us from. So they're like, yeah, all right. Well, I mean, the prison's there if you want it. Do, do your best. And so that's Pitcairn Island. Yeah, it's like prisons can only work in this big industrial... <clears throat> It's like prisons happen with capitalism. Yeah, the idea they? that you'd yeah. impose a prison, like island life obviously can't work that way because you actually need everyone. You can't put and then feed. Well, it comes it's back useless. to the small community thing. Yeah. Pretty, like small communities, the justice, how, you know, et cetera, would have to work differently yeah. in that system. Do you know about the Chagos Islands? No. So Chagos Islands, Diego Garcia. I think Diego Garcia is one of the islands. So it's in the Indian Ocean, small island, in the 1960s, it was it was controlled by the British, but it was discovered you know a couple of hundred years earlier. There's maybe two thousand people living on it. It's like paradise, palm trees, blue water, yeah. etc. You know, amazing fire festival, amazing place to live. <laughs> fire yeah. Fest, yeah, owned by Pablo Escobar. Um, no, it's, it's a genuinely you know like beautiful place. Mm -hmm. But where it is would be ideal. They're looking at it like that is ideal if Americans going over the Pacific need to refuel their jets, if, right, they were, okay. if they were going to, say, the Middle East. Yeah. Right? And why so, would they do that? I don't know, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in the 60s, Britain had control of it, and then they decided, oh, we want to rent it out to the Americans because mm -hmm. that'll make us a shed load of money and get us points with you know, yeah. the special relationship, blah, blah, blah. So the Labour government of Harold Wilson ethnically cleansed the island, just got rid of everyone. Where they, did they go? Uh, oh, what a great question, Sean. Oh. Um, so, yeah, 1960s. Oh, hip, oh yeah, we're legalizing uh, divorce. We're yeah. getting rid of the death penalty. And whoa, cleansing an island. So are we talking like death squads? Or? Uh, well, it's, it's really fucked, right? Okay. So it's not quite explicit death squads. What they do is they round up everyone on the island's pets. All the animals, I think livestock and pets, all the animals on the island. Yeah. And then they gas them using the exhaust fumes of Land Rovers. And then they pile the carcasses of the dead animals into the center of the town. And then I think they sound an alarm, like maybe an air raid siren or something, in order to uh, kind of get people out of their houses. Yeah. And then everyone comes out and goes, oh, fuck, that is a huge pile of animals Right. So they were killing all the animals on the island in secret. Uh, I don't, I, mate. <laughs> I just don't understand how yeah, this works so far. They, I know they did that, but I don't. Yeah. When they were doing it, unfortunately, this is one of those things where when the British were doing this horrific crime, they, they didn't give us a bullet point. Down, yeah, yeah, sorry, but th that did happen. Um, and then they basically just got uh, cargo ships. Yeah. So not like comfortable this is a shit you know it's days away from the closest place i think is probably madagascar yeah um they uh you know ships used for cargo or, or the transportation yeah, yeah, yeah. of livestock and they open these ships and they just point at them so there's a big pile of animals and you've come out of your house and then there's british soldiers just just sort of gesturing towards two couple of uh, open big ships and then you just sort of get the hint and yeah. they're all aboard and I think there's about six people of those 2,000 left alive, uh, and they've never been allowed back. Uh, and now that island is an American military base, uh, which is known in the American military as Camp Paradise, but its official name is Camp Justice. And in Transformers 2, it is what? where the Transformers live and used as a location in, in the movie Transformers 2, Michael Bay. That's Fuck. Right? It is truly fucked. And they've been, I think it's, so it's these women that, are the, you know, the Chagos Islanders who've been trying to get back. I think basically they had everything taken away from them. They were given no compensation whatsoever. They basically, I think, took them to Madagascar and they just, I think, had the whatever possessions they could just grab. And then that's just them fucked. In the, in the and I'm guessing they just dropped off at another beach and that's it. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's totally fucked. Well, and yeah. they've got they've got nothing, and they they've been trying to get back to their island, that, and they've had. Uh, I mean, I'm going off the top of my head now, so I might be getting mm. stuff wrong here, but they uh, look it up because it's fucked. They they they've got loads of court decisions, so like big court, you know, like whatever the international court is, some UN court mm -hmm. has been like, yeah, this was illegal. Maybe yeah. this is supposed to be their island, but America's not going to give up one of their key military bases. Well, I mean, the UN goes, this is actually illegal. And all the superpowers of the world go, oh, fuck, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. 
God, I'm glad the UN's there. Jeez Louise. Uh, and uh, I th- I've, one of the big ones was in the t- mid-2000s, they got through the British courts and the British courts were like, oh yeah, this is... The British courts were like, yeah, this is bad. I think we've got to give this island back. Yeah. But the courts can be overruled uh, by the monarch. So Tony Blair just asked the queen, oh, can you just, yeah, can you just sort this out? An old queenie, God bless her. Uh, Took one for the team. Yeah. She's you know, always my- been there to come out batting whenever. Yeah, she always, you know, she just acts as a check or balance yeah. on the, the Westminster system. Not only she? is she great for tourism, but she's there as that little safety net, yeah. that little fail safe if everything starts going wrong. Just in case we think. She'll stand her ground and go, no, like Gandalf facing <laughs> down the Balrog. <laughs> to these six de- uh, destitute yeah. Chagos Islanders, uh, thou shalt not pass. Hmm. Britannia rules the waves. <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. If you enjoyed the show and would like to show us some appreciation in some way, then please leave us a review on iTunes or you can check out our social media on Facebook or Twitter. We also have our first live show coming up. We're coming to the Manchester Podcast Festival on the 27th of November at the Pier Hat. You can find tickets for that on Manchester Podcast Festival website or on our social media. Today's music was provided by Dead Slow Hoot, whose debut album No Reunions came out earlier this year. They've got some gigs coming up in London and Yorkshire towards the end of the year if you're interested. And to help convince you, here is the rest of An Island Keen to Float. Goodbye. An island keen to float Floundering out on its own
Thank you.